So it's the final episode of the Bristol Unpacked election specials. And this week, it's the independents and the smaller parties in a one-off special edition. We'll be talking to Tom Baldwin, Robert Clark, Sean Donnelly, John Langley and Oscar Shaw. I'm Neil Maggs. And this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. First up is Sean Donnelly. He is standing as an independent, a safe Bristol boy. He is a pub landlord and local businessman. Say Bristol boy, Bristol yeah. City pub. You know, my obvious question on that is: you're standing as Bristol mayor. How are you going to get the blue vote? How are you going to get people north of the river voting for you? Um, that's a very difficult one, of course, because people are so cynical. Um, I mean, if I was asked about a stadium, for starters, I mean, their stadium, Rovers, should be in Bristol on the basis they've got Bristol within their name. I mean, really, their stadium should be in the ass end of Filton. Yeah. as the arena is, and the arena should be in, in the central Bristol. Do you think it'll go against you? If there's a you know a, a Rovers fan from Southmead, the Free Lines is well known as a city pub, do you think they could bring themselves to go, oh, I'm going to vote for, for Sean Donnelly? Spoke to people I've spoken to, because I've got a lot of Bristol Rovers friends, and, and I, I associate with a lot. I mean, I, we always need to banner up City and Rovers. The worst thing ever, it seems Rovers are doing bad. I don't think City needs to do well. Yeah. And vice versa. When Bristol Rovers were top of the conference, we had to strike because they had things to sing about. Don't matter who they're beating, they were winning, we weren't. We need that banter. So I need I need Rovers doing well. In an interview, I saw you're a pride working class man who wants to have a voice in things, and that's partly why you're standing. If you're a yes, working but- class Bristol Rovers fan in Southmead, you'd connect with somebody like that more than a Green Party Most- member, wouldn't you? I, I would think so, and I would hope so. I think it would still be a massive begrudging vote. If you spun this into my equivalent in a oh, Bristol Rovers fan, yeah. would I vote for him? Um, I'm not definitely saying yes, to be honest, yeah. but, but I would look at what he got to say. But I would look at what they got to say, because I, I think the biggest problem we've got in Bristol, certainly where I come from, Saxon Norwest, Leminster, Bristol, where I live now, such a small minority of people vote because I don't think they understand how strong their voice is. And we've probably got the biggest concerted area of Bristolians in South Bristol, I would say, certainly in that hardcore council estate. It's the lowest turnout, lowest turnout. I mean, I don't know if the same could be said sort of with uh, Lawrence Weston, say, Avon, Mouthshire, and then you'd have your South Mead, your Hembury, which would be all the equivalent areas real hardcore sort of working class council estates mm. traditionally and is no, that your right. background yourself personally so yeah, you, yes yes which council estate uh no west you're no west uh, boy it's fascinating you know, that your standard is an independent and obviously the previous mayor his pub or his, his premises the tobacco factory he also stood as an independent was as the crow flies a quarter of a mile down the road or whatever in Bedminster. But I guess you're coming at it from a completely different perspective with a completely different demographic, an old boozer, working class clientele, 
obviously tobacco factory is very nice, but you know, it's just like it is part of that new Bedminster gentrified kind of yeah, most thing, so, isn't it? And yeah. it's funny because George used to come to our pub every Sunday. George Did he? Okay. Every yeah. Sunday night without fail, he would come to our pub. He he would drink there prior to being uh, mayor. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, everyone viewed him anyway as a Lib Dem, didn't they? It was, it was, yeah, he was a Lib Dem. And when people say about me, the way I look at it Neil, is, if I was looking at me, going back to maybe that Wood and Rovers fan, I think if you were looking at me, I think I quite like me. If, if okay, I was, okay. You know, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. But, but I think I'd look and think, but is he the right person for a job of this magnitude? Is he experienced enough? Uh, mm. Does he know enough about this, know enough about that, know enough about everything? Well, the answer would probably be no. But I then look at the two previous people and think, well, they had all the qualifications really to run a city with their backgrounds, with what they've done in politics, and neither of them have done too great a job of it. So, so it fills you with confidence then that you feel, well, actually, I, maybe I can do it because, you know, yes, they, they haven't... Yes. Right. Okay, so I think you'd look and you'd yeah. ask, I'm a businessman, I've done quite well in business for, for, through my different outlets, but I've done well. So you own two pubs at the moment, is that right? Three Lions and the Masonic? Or more? Uh, no, a couple more. It's really, I see the mayor's job really as initially of overseeing works and, and making things better in Bristol. If they were in business, both of those people would have been bankrupt within the first six months, 100 miles an hour. I, I mean, this bridge in Shire, for example, I mean, the, the, the scaffold hire has cost more than what the repairs cost. Yeah. So how you explain... Actually, that whole notion of being a pub landlord and yes, you're a businessman, but being a pub landlord, having to sort of talk to people from all walks of life in a weird kind of way, can that transfer to politics? Because it's similar, similar in a way, yeah? Having to connect to, to everybody. Exactly what you said, because when you're speaking to someone who's moaning about their twice-weekly bins yeah. From, yeah. from once a week and say once you a get week. get that the old up. boys in the pub having a bass, moaning about yeah, yeah. them and, and where we look and we think, like we would do that. I mean, I think it's ridiculous and they're looking at doing it every three weeks. So those little things which people bend your ear with. So exactly what you said. So we know when someone's finished with their wife, when, yeah. when the washing's been nicked off the line, we know every single thing they find time to discuss all these things yeah. and it's very important to them. So if there's parking issues, if there's the push bikes, if there's, yeah. if there's the cycling lanes, uh, the transport, how many bus stops there are, how many traffic lights there are, you hear all this and you know it normally. So yeah. I think that we understand it. So, so I think when you live in a big house on the downs or you've got a chauffeur or you've got one of these new cars so you can go through the clean air zones, they're not understanding is that it's the politicians of today during the lockdown when they say well it's only five weeks more and you think but we haven't earned no money for a year do you know and that was one of your drivers for what to stand as mayor wasn't it was the fact that you were really angry at how you'd been treated hospitality sector have been affected more than you know possibly any and, that, yeah. and even now when you try, and it's like you're chastised or punished, someone come into my pub, three lines, you can walk in and out about a mask on. We say, can you put a mask on, please, sir? And if you say no, and I've asked this question of the council, no, I'm not wearing one, have you a reason for not wearing one? That like, Are you medically exempt? No, I just don't want to wear one. Well, sorry, sir, you have to go. No, you look, I think there's a big ladder. He said, well, I'm not going, make me go. 
And then you look and think, so we said to Kevin, what have we got to do? Ring the police. But the police say, well, you've got to do it. We can't come out for things as trivial as this. And I said, what happens then? So the council say, well, we'll find you, me. And I think, well, the bloke's there, find him. So you and know, you have had some situations, haven't you? I think you have had I've a been fine. fine. I've got fine. Yes, fine a thousand pounds. Is that right? Some, yeah. have, some have moved from one table to another. We're told none of my staff is aware. They move from one table to another, and they have their mask around their chin. We were told, and it's strange because we've seen Boris doing the same thing the other day. But it's okay because he forgot. But if my old guy in the pub, Peanut Bob, or whatever, if he forgets, then we yeah, get fined a thousand pounds. Got a candidate from the Reform Party standing. He was yeah. obviously Farage's. In a way, are you sort of competing with him for his sort of votes, or do you see yourself as being broader than, than that? Richard Tice asked me to run for them. Okay, yeah. I think he must ask everyone or anyone. But from what I've listened to the guy, his name's escaping, so excuse me. His name is Robert Clark. Robert Clark. Listen, I wasn't overly impressed by what he was saying to be honest whereas i thought if i was voting then it's probably the reform party that i would be voting for yeah. so that probably gives an inclination of where yeah. i would be but now i think when people say about brexit you asked the, the lib them lady and you said because for the next generation and she was still anti. she went well no it's not the next generation well surely it's the next generation that we've got brexit we're out of the european union she, she more or less said, well, no, that's not that because they're obviously looking to go back, which would be more upheaval. Yeah. I felt that we needed this to start again and to stand on our own two feet for us to be us. Of course, I feel that we're like a little pocket which voted, whereas we were the majority. It seems the voices don't seem to get that we were the majority. We voted for something. And I, don't, I think we voted not expecting it to happen. And it was the same time as Trump got in, of course, which no one expected to happen. Yeah. Um, which again was another oddity. It was another. Do you feel, and that did you feel that that was a big? You said about coming from a traditional Labour family, and I think there were, you know, it happened both sides of the Atlantic, coming from working class stock. That Brexit, Trump, Boris in the last election, all these things was a, a big fuck you to. The establishment yeah. to the establishment for people that for not listening, not listening for years, yeah, yeah, yeah for not. But I yeah. think people look at you and sort of nearly look down on you. They look down, so, what intellectually snobbery, look down their nose yes, at you. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's nearly like well, what you, I had to do a TV thing yesterday, and I I, I wore tracksuits all the way through because that's city city tracksuit, but predominantly, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yesterday, yeah I had a nice suit, and I thought I'm going to wear my nice suit so people could look and think when I am elected. Yeah, he, he will look quite presentable as the leader of our city. And then I've gone to put a suit on. Well, I would have had to put patches in it to make it fit me. It's so long since I... It's, so, yeah, and I thought, oh, now I've got to revert back to what I didn't want to do. Yeah. Uh, jeans and a T-shirt, basically. Uh, you disagree with the statue in the manner in which it came down and you would prefer it to still be up? Is, is that is that right? It can't go back. It can't go back up now. It can't go up where it was for, for short. Yeah, but when it went down, I mean, did you feel that the whole scandals yeah. on the simple basis for the last two years? I've gone to West Africa, Gambia, where Roots originally was St James Island. Alex Haley, the Roots books, the Kunta Kinte, so slavery predominantly was from there. And when you go on to St James Island, there's a huge uh, statue with outstretched arms, with broken chains, and it says never again. And everyone, that's the stop-off point. And so I said, why do you keep that? They said, so no one ever forgets. Yeah. 
Well, that's why I thought that statue, when my little grandson Albert goes along, if he says Bampy, what's that for? I can explain what it's for, yeah. you know, because I don't think you wash away. I guess the, count, the argument is that statues are to venerate and celebrate people. So you wouldn't have like a Hitler statue in in Berlin, no, no. you might have in a museum. So that, that's, that's the kind of view. I just want to state what's interesting is that you did vote for Brexit and you did want the statue to remain. And I think in the national media's lens of Bristol, you would think everybody was kind of left-leaning and liberal and agreed in, with in the Bristol. Whole. My personal view may be completely different to yours, but from a journalistic perspective, I feel the national media failed in their duty to talk to people like you to say, well, actually, if you go around the outer ring of the city in South Bristol and North Bristol, even parts of East Bristol where I'm from, there were lots of people that were pissed off that the statue came down and there were lots of people that did vote Brett and they're part of the conversation and narrative as well. So I guess you do speak for a silent voice in Bristol. Yeah. You know, you, you, you hang around with black people, you know black people, it, it gets yeah, paid, it, my friends, yeah. you get tainted as being a sort of a white working class racist bigot. That is how it's put across in the national media sometimes. And, and, it, and it, it, that's, it, it's unfair, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. So and, and, you know, and there's black people that voted Brexit and there's black people that didn't want the Colsons, you know. That, yeah, but I don't even know black, where, you know, no one you said. I think what we've had recently, yeah. because with the police, you, you'd never want to stand on the... When you looked at yeah, the protest, yeah, the protest, the protest, I was yeah. disgusted. What was that? That first night, I'm thinking, what the f are you doing to our city, yeah. our city? I'm thinking, you're not hearing a Bristol accent. I felt for the police on the first night. I half looked and thought, what a job they've got because they're just stood there as being battered. Yeah. And then I watched the next night and thought, I'm not so sure here because I thought what they were doing, and not I listened to your one yesterday, so I'm being swayed slightly with yeah. the Lib Dem lady. Yeah. Um, and when they're sat on the floor, does that need to be... And obviously, whoever's in charge has said, yeah. it must be zero tolerance, don't care what they're doing, just let them know we're here. And now we're hearing the figures of the amount of people who were injured, and please so say injured. Yeah. You look, and then you think, well, now... I honestly don't really know where I am. Like, I, yeah. do, do you know, I well, it's confusing. Did... I, I think the interesting thing for you also is that with protests, police, you know, riots and that kind of stuff, is you've had incidents in and around the pub with football hooliganism and firms yes. and stuff like that. So you know a little bit about that kind of stuff and how the police can be heavy-handed sometimes, yeah? Well, well, I think when it's with, say, football sports, for example, we, me as a football sport, and me who would go away, so I've been on lots of trips and... Yeah. Uh, so, so I know I, I know all sides as you said yeah. so do you know what happens because we respect the police so, so when the police say listen F off then we we F's up a bit sharpish because yeah. we know something and they would predominantly know where we are whereas I think there's people well the police aren't the opposition are they I suppose the opposition is no, and, and I, firm isn't it yeah, yeah. But, I, yeah. but I also look as a pub landlord as somebody who runs a pub no one's aware that when if someone has a big bust up today with their wife or their family yeah. or and then they want walking, and they're looking for, not for someone, but they, they're just angst, they've had drink or drugs, and they come, and all of a sudden you think, you can see this fellow's just out for trouble. Yeah. And so to a lot of ways, you liken yourself to a police officer because you've got to think, how do I police this situation? You manage the space. How do you manage the space? Yeah, yes, yeah. and sometimes you just be nice and just yeah. hope they'll walk away and they'll move away. Do you know, and you think you can't be heavy Whereas do you feel these, do you feel that these... Protesters. I don't think they don't have any respect for the do. police at all. No, they, they're the well, enemy. Yeah? And it's nearly with their education. Mm. Uh, 
Did you know, I mean, when you see summer 22 and 23 and who've never gone to work yet, and you sort of, yeah. we all worked at 16. And then, and then when you see like the guy who's something which was well documented with the, with the joint in his mouth, he didn't yeah. even know what day it was. And you're looking and thinking, are we paying for these people to go to university? Like what? You're looking and it's just a party. The music's on, they're all drugged out their heads. And you look and you think, we're going to work every day and digging holes or doing whatever we're doing to earn a shilling. And yeah. we wouldn't dream of behaving like that. And yet, it's, I think people have the perception it's us who would behave like that. Yeah. And we're looking disgusted, absolutely mm. disgusted, but more because it's our city. And then you embarrass. I was just going to ask you that. Were you embarrassed now yes. when you go and that out? Is, and, this, yeah. Yes, and hence, I want, well, I say, I want to open the centre because I think at the moment, right, besides that's where demonstrations go and other stuff. So, so we want to open up to the River Fruit. The, uh, the center to let the, wall, um, the river come all the way through the, into well, the it's, un, it's there. Yeah. It's only on. It's only on little stilts. It's yeah. not even. Yeah. It wouldn't cost as yeah. much as cause the hall. The, 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 the new. Yeah. Uh, the new cost. Beacon. Yeah. 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 Um, but but it, you know, a slightly challenging question to you, and you alluded it to yourself about the reputation of the pub. It has had a bit of a reputation for yes. the kind of slightly hooligan element within Bristol City. Yes. There is a book out, uh, you know, he's now, we need to say, retired uh, former hooligan, Paul Lumber. It all kicked off in Bristol. The inside story of the city service firm, the Free Lions, is on the front. Obviously, like, you know, I'm sort of no stranger to that world a little bit through football, but for somebody that is a sort of you know, uh, uh, doesn't like football, is maybe a bit more conservative with a small C, a little bit more hoity-toity, that, you know, they would be horrified by the thought of the landlord of a, a pub in Bristol that encourages football hooliganism and standing as a, as, as a mayor of the city. What, do you, what would you say? Well, first, you're not encouraged, mate. It's part of, um, I mean, they read the book. The book's quite, um, yeah. it is someone's opinion about something, about um, stuff over the years. I mean, I always played football, so I was never really around during that thing. But I don't encourage it. I, yeah. I don't encourage, wouldn't encourage it. But my age determines that that was a massive part of British culture in the working class council estates. So it was something what everyone, it, if you weren't actually involved, you were certainly aware of it on, going on. On the edges it wasn't, of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you were on the, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't far right or anything. It was a group of Bristolians, which every city would have, have their group of people who were the hardcore of that football club. So, yeah, but that is obviously just addressing the kind of the stereotype. Yeah, and that's something which would be... People will probably put that out there, I I suspect, if your head is above Uh, the parapet. I'm surprised, actually, no one has as yet. They don't do their research like me, Sean. That's what it is. Yeah, that's right. That's why you're number one. Yeah, thank you. Lovely. Text in the post, mate. Um, I'm going to leave it there, mate, because we've gone on probably about four times as long as we should have done. And it's going to be cut down. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, so just to give me a quick, um, you know, why should people vote for you? And they should vote for me to have some normality, yeah. some realism, and for us to put some pride back into Bristol, some real pride. Um, so that everywhere you go in the world, when people mention Bristol... They'll have suspension bridge, of course. We've got loads of great things. We're losing the zoo. We're losing everything. We're losing our identity, basically, and I'll give us our identity back. Lovely. Top man, Sean. Well, good luck with the campaign. Thanks, Neil. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Ta-da. 
Next up is Tom Baldwin, who is standing for Tusk, the Trade Unionist and Social Coalition. This is, in fact, the third time that Tom has stood, the only candidate to do so, as well as current Mayor Marvin Rees. Hi, Tom. How you doing, mate? Hey, not bad. Cheers. You? Yeah, good. Where where, where am I talking to you from? Uh, I'm in, in Ashton, uh, in my flat, right by Ashton Gate. Ah, so you're a City fan then? Um, I'm not from Bristol originally, so no, but of the two Bristol sides, yeah, living here has got to be City. You've got, you got to say that, living close to the ground, don't you? Yeah. This is your third time of standing. You stood in 2012 and 2016. You're standing as the Trade Unionist and Socialist Coalition, Tusk. There are 330 yeah. people from Tusk standing across various roles on May the 6th. For those that don't know, what is the organisation and uh, what does it stand for? So it was set up in 2010. It is a, a coalition. I'm a member of the Socialist Party, which is one of the component parts of Tusk. also involves the Rail Union, the RMT, and their late General Secretary, Bob Crow, was one of the people that was, was instrumental in founding it. And it was established at the time because we felt that working class people were without political representation effectively, that the Labour Party was was not representing us. And we wanted to kind of begin a process of rebuilding the idea of a political voice for the working class. Obviously, during that 11-year existence, then there's been quite significant changes back and forth in the, the Labour Party. So when Corbyn was the leader, then we didn't stand in general elections. And obviously now under Starmer, things have, have changed again. I think a lot of people feel betrayed by the party, feel that they don't have a political home. And, you know, that's that's what we're there to, to begin to try and provide, really. Would it be fair to say that you're probably the most left-wing candidate standing on the Bristol mayor ballot? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. So Starmer, obviously, he was here, wasn't he, with Mayor Marvin Rees last week, looking at houses and stuff like that. I guess he's sort of somebody that people on your kind of side of the left feel... You just said yourself about being betrayed, if you want to sort of expand on that. Obviously, the sort of Labour Party has swung back to the right a bit and wrestled sort of internal control again. So does that leave people like yourself and others looking for alternatives outside of the Labour Party once again? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, not just people like myself. I, I've, I've met loads and loads of people, particularly during this election campaign, but prior as well, who felt that none of the main parties now represent them. You know, a lot of the policies that Corbyn put forward were not so wildly radical as, as was made out in the press, but actually, you know, things like renationalisation of the railways or of the utilities had majority support in polls for, for many, many years. And for the first time, really, in the mainstream, found an expression in the programme that, that Corbyn was putting forwards. Uh, I think, you know, without that, then... There is a vacuum in British politics. People are angry at a situation and at a system that is denying them decent living standards. We're going to see a huge wave of job cuts. We're already seeing bosses firing people and rehiring them on worse terms and conditions. We're likely to see another round of austerity. People's going to fight back against that through their trade unions, through community campaigns and everything else. But with a political voice that actually stands behind and supports those campaigns, I think that's that's far stronger and gives voice to an alternative as well. 
when we're told by the government there's not enough money for these things, I say don't take the first offer. You fight for better. And actually what's been proven over the last year is there's plenty of money in society if something's considered a priority to, to deal with it. We've got to fight to make sure that council services are a priority. And the magic money tree that was levied at Jeremy Corbyn obviously seems to exist with the amount of obviously support that the government has given people during furlough throughout the coronavirus lockdown. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think, as I say, it's uh, not a question of, of economics. It's one of political will. Uh, there is money in the country. It's how it's distributed. You know, most people, I'm a furlough scheme, I would say, it has kept people in work, but on 80% of their wages, when a lot of people were struggling to get by on 100%, it's not particularly supportive of the individual. I'd say it's more supportive of the, the businesses uh, and trying to keep them trading and trying to keep a, a roar and the uh, kind of economic problems and the, the crisis that's coming, really. But, you know, some people have had a very good pandemic, not workers, but billionaires. The wealth of UK billionaires has risen by one third over the last year. So there is money in society. It's money that's produced by working people. But so much of it is taken from us, skimmed off the top by the, the very, very wealthy in profits. And as a socialist, that's what I want to end. Hasn't the socialist agenda and the policies of Jeremy Corbyn and left-wing politics in general been universally rejected by working-class voters in the last 15 years, though? No, From not Brexit at all. to um, the last Tory government, No. Uh, No, I mean, I I think, you know, Brexit was far from a a left-right vote. I actually voted to to leave the European Union, uh, not uh, for reasons, anything akin to what Boris Johnson or Nigel Farage was putting forward, uh, but because it's a, a... big business club is an organization that looked after the, the ruling classes of, of Europe. But I, yeah, I think he, uh, he wasn't able to overcome the distrust that workers still felt towards the Labour Party after years of new Labour, after years of being taken for granted uh, and having anti-worker policies put forward. But if you look at each of the individual policies taken in polling, most of those were very, very popular. Um, I you know, I wouldn't share exactly the, the politics of, of Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, I think, you know, that they opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that, that things could be different. But for me, socialism is not just about taking more money from the wealthy and taxes and distributing it in terms of, of better services and everything else. For me, it's about it's workers that create the wealth in society. The biggest businesses and banks that dominate the economy, they should be in public hands. They should be owned collectively. We should run them democratically and the workers control and management so that we actually get the ownership and control of the wealth that we create we can democratically decide how it's invested based on what we want the priorities of society to be improving people's living standards defending the environment rather than uh, profits and, and filling the pockets of a tiny few um, you stood in 2012 and you stood in 2016. In 2012, you got um, 1,412 votes. 2016, you had 1,876 votes. Um, why are you standing again? And obviously, you know, you have experience of knowing that, you know, realistically, um, dare I say, you probably won't win. So why are you standing? Well, 
I think because there's still a need for the policies that I'm putting forward. Uh, I think, you know, even if I, I want to do as well as possible, uh, I, I would like to win. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's not the most likely outcome. But even by standing and by putting those, then I think it does have an effect because we have been told in the past, well, look, there's nothing that can be done. Uh, the, the, the government uh, funds the, the city or when the government cuts the funding that it sends to the city, we have no choice but to, to implement those cuts. And actually, by giving an alternative, by saying that you can move no cuts budgets, by using the, the uh, reserves that the council has, the borrowing power that they has to protect uh, services, and crucially, to use the time that you, you save by that to build a mass campaign to take on the government to try and win back the, the stolen funding. That's made it far harder uh, for the, the other politicians to simply claim nothing can be done, it's nothing to, to do with me. If you look at the issue of housing, which is quite possibly the key issue uh, affecting the, the city, I've consistently said that what we need is council housing. Don't need to give SOPs to developers and private landlords to fill their pockets. This election, both the, the front runners, Labour and Green, are now talking about programmes of council house building when before uh, Marvin's promise was around 2,000 houses a year, 800 of them affordable, which is a very uh, elastic term. Um, so it's good to hear them making those promises. I think without a left-wing candidate making those points, they may not necessarily have been doing it. Uh, I, you know, I've interviewed a number of people on this show that feel like they are lapsed Labour voters that have tilted to the right a little bit. And actually, when you add real conversations about what they're concerned about, what they're frustrated about and what they're interested in, there actually is quite a lot in common with an old-fashioned trade union socialist party if we had one. So how would you convince a working-class Tory, stereotyping, but in, in, in South Bristol, in one of the estates, Noel West or Hartcliffe, for example, to say, I want to vote for, for Tusk? Well, I think you make a, a very good point about people are angry because it's a society that don't provide for us, uh, that, that leaves us struggling really for everything we've got. And if the left aren't able to give proper answers to that, then the right will come in and try and scapegoat people, try and divide the working class against each other. So, you know, what I would say is look at the money that they have poured in to their mates' pockets, really, in terms of providing contracts for things like PPE, for the test and trace system, which has been very, very ineffective. You can't tell me that there is not the money in the country to provide jobs and services, decent homes for people. This is a society that's divided between the rich and the poor, and, you know, we're for ordinary people. When I, I say the poor or the working class, you know, I don't just mean necessarily those that live on council states or whatever. Anyone has to sell their time to somebody else to, to make a living is a worker. You know, it's, it's really a division between the billionaires and the rest of us. We need someone to stick up for us. We need to stick up for ourselves. If you win, do you want to keep the role of the mayor or are you going to get rid of it? No, I, I 
don't agree with the role of mayor. I've voted against it in the first instance, and I've not changed my mind. As I say, I think it, it does centralise power too much. However, I'd say the most important thing about how the city's run is the policies that city leaders put forward rather than the system under which they they govern. So, you know, I haven't been a fan particularly of the the two mayors that we've had, or as I say, of the mayoral system. But prior to that, when we had the leader and cabinet system, or even before that, when it was a, a committee system, then really we had broadly similar politics coming forwards. I think, you know, what's key is is having socialist policies, having a different type of politics. But yeah, I would look to get rid of the mayoral position. What about the wages, the £79,000? Would you reject that wage? Absolutely, yeah. I don't think you can represent people unless the decisions that you make affect you in the same way that they affect them. Uh, I'm, I'm really fed up of hearing, oh, you know, we're making tough decisions, this is a hard decision and stuff by politicians, when actually wages like you know, close to £80,000 a year, that totally insulates them from those positions. So, yeah, I've made very clear in every election I've ever stood, I stand on a worker's wage, take the average wage of a worker in the city. Obviously, if you've got a lot of resource and you can put your face over buses, and you can have adverts in Bristol Live or Bristol 24-7 or whatever, that gives a big advantage in terms of name recognition and eyes being on you. It does, yeah. Although I don't know if people could tell the difference between my face and the back of a bus, so sticking it on there might be a waste of money anyway. Uh, great that's a that's a that's a good way to end tom i think on on (laughs) on that note thank you so much tom it's been really really great to talk to you and i wish you good luck on medicine yeah cheers mate thank you it's okay cheers just jump in there and let you know that thousands of you have been tuning in to these election specials and hopefully we've done a good job at letting you know what their policies are who the person is and maybe we may have changed your opinion on who you will vote for i don't know or reinforced so as the city heads to the ballot box on thursday the 6th of may let's also remember that democracy happens all year round too not just at election cycles so 2600 people in the city are currently democratic owners of the cable chipping in a couple of quid a month so if you want to join this democratic movement and contribute all year round then you can and help us build a better media for a better bristol now it's the turn of john langley who is an independent who has stood before he is a porn photographer and actor by day and just a word of warning we do talk about some domestic violence and sexual exploitation in this part this is not the first time that you stood. You stood in 2016, also as an independent, and you got 367 votes, which meant you finished second from last. So this time, why are you standing and are you hoping to get more votes? Well, contrary to popular opinion, you know, I'm something of a masochist. Um, I, you know, I've been here before, so I'm a known name um, and I'm very different, obviously, from other candidates, particularly the, the party candidates, because I don't represent the party, so therefore I'm not going to get diktats from head office and you know have somebody looking over me and telling me which direction to go. So I'm, being independent gives me a distinct advantage. 
But you have obviously been members of and stood for political parties before. You were formerly a member of the Liberal Democrats. You were vice chair of Bristol UKIP. Does being independent give you a little bit more political freedom then? That, that's what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. As I say, you know, if somebody from one of the parties comes up with a really good idea, then obviously I'm going to go with it. So I'm not persuaded, you know, by any means in any one direction. And I think that's Having a political party behind you is some of the marketing, the literature, maybe even some of the financial support that some of the bigger parties have got. How have you been promoting your campaign? It's very difficult if you're an independent because party politics favours the money um, and the more money you throw into it you know you actually buy your way into into politics whereas being an independent we don't have that kind of budget so I have to rely on things like social media and obviously as, as much media coverage as possible in order to get our messages across and your key messages they've kind of changed a bit I guess from last time one of your key messages that you're looking to move us and stop what you call the totally entirely unnecessary lockdown. Just expand on that and and how you will actually go about um, trying to shift and change that if you were mayor of Bristol. Well, I don't think party politics is something that should be um, even looked at at a time when we've just come out of a pandemic because it's all very well talking about, you know, nice big building programs and, and capital expenditure and plans for the future while the city is leaving the people behind. Um, and I'm very concerned that there are people living in their homes that are still, you know, frightened to come out because of COVID. Um, there are all kinds of issues around that that need to be addressed and, and to get to get the city back on its feet, to give people more confidence, to give them more hope. And I think by investing in people rather than capital infrastructure, that's got to be the way forward for the time being. I know that you have personal experience of and something that you're you're quite interested in making an impact in in Bristol is around mental health and addiction. What kind of ideas and policies are you uh, putting forward? Well, that kind of fits in in some ways with the homeless strategy because there are people who have severe mental health difficulties who are actually living on the street. And so we need to do something about moving them forward. So I think it's all encompassing in that respect. With terms with mental health, and if I am elected mayor, then obviously I would want to work with the health authorities to make sure that people are being provided for within the community. But further than that, going into the, the housing homelessness campaign, then there has to be a definite lead with a one-stop service for those who are homeless, a one-stop service which provides everything they need rather than sending it from pillar to post from 100 Temple Street to a charity and from a charity to somewhere else because they're just going around in circles and becoming worse in their conditions. So that needs to be addressed. And by having one person looking after it and a one-stop service, then it will be addressed. And what, what drives you? What is your kind of motivation? Are you someone who does any work in the community or someone who does any volunteering or anything like that? I've, you know, I've been very, very vocal. And, you know, I've, I've reached the Bristol Post with projects that I've, the stuff that I've done with in the homeless sector. Um, you know, so I've, I've done various things around that. But, you know, you've got to be in a position of, of, of authority to be able to do more. And that's, I think, where... I would benefit from being in that position of authority where I can actually do more. So it's a continuation of that work, but I think in a, in a, in a much more improved way. Your background and, you know, you, it's, it's, it's fairly out there. It's on, on record. You've um, spoken about that you are a, a male escort, a porn actor, a producer. You go by the, the name of Johnny Rockhard. Um, is, um, 
is 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 porn a bit of a, a grimy business? Um, I find it getting more so um, because now anyone can post anything on the internet, um, I, and I'm sort of slowly backing out of it, and you know, getting more into writing books. I've written one already, and I'm planning on writing another one. So it's becoming something of of, of historical. Uh, interest to me now you know i've been there i've done it I've how long have you been it. in the game the industry 30 years 30 years it was a long long time yeah what does that does it change you what does it does it do to you as a as a person being involved i mean there's been a number of situations where people have come out of the industry and f- sort of felt that they've had to adjust and adapt to kind of everyday life does it change you as a person or does it just become um part of everyday life I tell you what, the one thing it does it does teach you a lot about people um, from all walks of life. It's interesting from a, a more psychological view, really, a sort of an overview of people and how people think and how how people react and what they're kind of into and what they're not kind of into. But you know, to be to be perfectly honest with you, I mean, once you kind of get into that industry, after a while, every day becomes Groundhog Day. You just get on with it and you're there to provide a service for an audience and and that's what you do. But, you know, all good things come to an end and, you know, I've done 30 years of it and it's about time I moved on and did something else. How did you you get into it in the first place? Uh, I started off as a sort of a teenage male escort um, because I was was living off the streets myself and, you know, I needed to provide essentials and... I was wined and dined by ladies and given nice watches and bought expensive suits and expensive clothes. And it seemed like a a really good um, lifestyle at the time. So it just sort of progressed from that to where I am now. And it's taught me a lot, but at the same time, it's, it's not a com- always a comfortable place to be in any longer. It's, it's, you know, it's just, well, it's a, I mean, it's a good industry for those who are prepared to work at it and to make money out of it. But if you're just going to go into it half-hearted as, as an ego boost, and that's all, then you're not going to get very far with it. So there has been some allegations which you've denied that have been reported in the press about an alleged assault and pimping incident to a, a young porn actress who was 21 mm. at the time, which you have denied. Do you accept that, or do you accept the notion that this person, this twenty-one, or how old are you? Oh, I'm well over twenty-one now. <laughs> well over twenty-one. What are you? Well, no, no, seriously. What are you now? Um, I'm well past fifty, but what I don't give me age away. So, so a twenty-one-year-old girl, a twenty-one-year-old girl. Age is irrelevant. Do you yeah. accept that you exploited her? Absolutely not. If anything. She exploited the industry and has, you know, gone on to make all kinds of stuff that I wouldn't even dream of doing and has got videos out everywhere. And no, no, I don't accept it at all. And she's said that she's been traumatized and haunted by nightmares by the incident, which happened in 2016. And she alleges that you first approached her at a Bristol bus station, telling her that she could be a star. And you basically sort of sort of series of allegations against you, including assault, but including also being pimped out and uh, not being filmed for a sort of sexual activity. I guess the question really is: Is your porn business a vehicle for, as you kind of alluded to before, female empowerment, or are you in fact exploiting valuable young women for content and indeed money? No, I mean 
if you go onto my website, the whole thing is all about female empowerment. Now, what I do is for anybody that wants to actually engage in this industry, I give them the wings to fly. So I start them off, I help them out, I do their content for them, I do their promotion for them. And then when when it's time for them to move on from me and to become more successful, then that's exactly what they will do. Now, it's like any business. You know, if I give you a set of tools and you don't apply those tools, it's not going to work for you. What I'm very disappointed about in this case is the fact that five years on, five years on, in the middle of an election, she now decides it's time to actually come out with this garbage in order to to throw the election and to throw my opportunity of actually getting anywhere. You know, this is somebody who I actually more or less threw out of the business because I found her obnoxious. I found her rude and I found her not the type of person that I would want to talk to or even promote. And so I dropped her. And now five years later, out of spite, malice, whatever you want to call it, she suddenly decided because I'm more successful than she is, that she actually wants to damage my reputation and my chances of winning the election. Have there been any other allegations of uh, similar incidents against you over the years? Not that I'm aware of anyway. I mean, you know, to be fair, if you go on to my model website, There are lots of, I mean, really nice references from people I've co-worked with over the years who say absolutely fantastic things about me. So when I have somebody like this, as I say, who holds on to spite for five years, I think it says far more about her than it does about me. You just said yourself that you were somebody that was homeless and the way that you got into the industry was through escorting. Do you go to the bear pit in Bristol and try to recruit people for your industry from the homeless population of young women in Bristol? Absolutely not. I only went through there once and spoke with one person uh, and that was it. But no other person, no other people there at all. It's not somewhere I go as a regular thing. I just happened to be passing through there one day. Happened to know it's somebody thought she might make some money for herself, which she actually went on and did. I approached her. She gave a lovely reference again on my, uh, my website and yeah that that was it but it was a one-off occasion so it's not a regular occurrence by any stretch of the imagination you say that you have a two to three day training and induction period where people don't get paid what's the percentage of people that do go on to get paid well everyone it's entirely up to them what they do after they leave me i mean they they get the content they get video clips they get pictures they get whatever they want that will enable them and then they actually move on and put put those tools to use to make themselves money now if somebody doesn't choose to do that or do it in the wrong way or the the way that they haven't been taught from my industry experience then that responsibility is theirs and not mine so there are occasions where people will come just to the training induction day for three days uh, and and not get paid and effectively you get free content, correct? No, no, that is not the case at all. Um, there are people who choose to come in just for the experience of it. There are those who choose to come in who do want to do something. Now, the the, the agreement is that we share content, so they're not paying me and I'm not paying them. So it's it's a straightforward trade, and what they do after that with their content is entirely up to them. If I choose to use it, then that's I have the permission to do that as well. So they get given content and you have content. Exactly. We share it. It's called content share. That's exactly what it is. And then you make money from that content? No, not at all.
No, not no. at all. Okay. Do you have children of your own? Yes, do I do. Do you have children have, of your own, John? I do indeed. Yep. I have a son of, what, 24? What would you say if a man... Say again. Sorry, sorry, John, I interrupted you. Say again. It's all right. Carry on. No, carry on. No, no it, what would you say if a man in their 50s or 60s approached a 21-year-old girl, say she was your daughter, to recruit them into pornography? How do you think that um, you would feel as a parent? Would you, I mean, would you encourage your children to go into it? Is that fine? Um, I think, you know, I, I've always had a rule, even with my own son, that once he's 18, he is an adult and he is able to make up his own mind and make his own choices. That's part of being an adult. Now, whatever he chooses to do with his life, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, I will support it and I will go along with it. Now, if he happens to fall down along the wayside, I'll pick him up, give him a hug and tell him that everything is going to be all right and move him on from it. And if he's really successful at it, I will actually pat him on the back, say, well done, and you continue. As long as you're happy, you're healthy, and you feel safe, great, you go for it. What if you had a daughter? Same thing, exactly the same thing. No difference. And you'd be comfortable with somebody of your age recruiting someone at 21 into that industry? You see, I think once you start talking about people's ages, it then becomes very ageist. And I treat people as they are. I don't think about their race. I don't think about their religion. I'm not interested in their age because we should see people as being people regardless of age. We are just people. That's all we are. What's the youngest you would recruit somebody? 18. That's the legal age is 18. So there is a line then, isn't there? With this allegation, which we do need to say was a shell for lack of evidence in 2018, uh, you've also been kicked out of the Bristol UKIP party, suspended from the Bristol UKIP party for a uh, porn incident at Castle Park. You've also been convicted for assaulting your 13-year-old stepson. You've also had the former Bristol branch chairman of UKIP, Steve Wood, who was ordered to pay £40,000 in damages to a businesswoman for a tweet falsely accusing somebody of child grooming, which was you that actually posted that Twitter account. For all those things... Are you fit to stand for office in Bristol? Well, <clears throat> it's interesting that you say that because um, I would like to correct you. First of all, I wasn't suspended from UKIP. I chose to leave UKIP because I had a disagreement over the technicality of what happened in Castle Park because it was felt that I'd broken the law. But I also know the law and know that um, nothing can be uh, – made a case of retrospectively because it has to be seen at that time and I was very careful to make sure I wasn't seen at that time so you know that's that's that one out of the way um what are the other two again please uh one was you convicted of assaulting your 13 year old stepson incorrect uh it wasn't a 13 year old it was a younger child than that um and it was an issue where it, it was his behavior uh younger. I was younger. yeah yeah I was he was younger um I was convicted of that, but then obviously that's spent um, and that's that's done and dusted as far as I'm concerned. It's history. We've no need to go back over it. I've moved on from it. Um, he's moved on from it. Everything's fine. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, we all have a past. We all do things, but we should be judged on who we are now and what we're going to do in the future rather than historically because we all have a history. 
So you do feel you are fit to stand for office, and you think if somebody uh, read your your record and the fact the the industry that you're in and some of those allegations, you still feel confident and comfortable to stand for public office in Bristol. Well, I would say the industry that I was in, rather than the industry I'm in, because again, that's incorrect. Um, I think I've actually, you know, you've left, have, you've left the industry now. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. I'm just sort of winding down, and I'm I'm changing tack and becoming more of an author, which again will be on my model website. When's the last soon. time you made it? When's the last time you did any photography? Oh my okay. god! When's the last that's, time you did any photography or any that, filming with a? That's that's going back some time. Um, probably before I started the book, which was just uh, December, maybe December, something like that. Um, so, but anyway, getting back to you know what your your question: Am yeah. I a fit person? I mean, I have got, you know, the, the, probably the widest experience of all forms of human life in every capacity that you could probably think of. So it's given me a good grounding of people. It's given me a good understanding of people. And as I've grown and as I've matured through it, then, yes, I do think I'm a very fit person because I'm straightforward, I'm honest, regardless of these ridiculous allegations, which, you know, are there just to throw the election. Um yeah, I am a very fit person, and I think people should give me the opportunity to actually prove it. And given the opportunity, absolutely, I will prove it. Thank you very much, John. Most appreciated. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's been great, and Take I've care. enjoyed it. Thank you. Good to talk. Next up is Robert Clark, who is standing for the Reform UK Party formerly the Brexit Party. You're standing for the Reform Party, and for those who don't know, that is the rebranded Brexit Party. It's a Brexit Party which was founded by Nigel Farage and Catherine Laidock, if I pronounce that right, in November 2018. You renamed uh, the Reform Party in January of this year. You've kept the same colours, haven't you? Which is the sort of Man City light blue. Well, <laughs> yeah, Man City, eh? Uh, it's not as blue as Bristol Rovers' colours. I suppose you could say that much. No, it's not, is it? Do you have a pick of a team in the city? Well, I've been gassed since I was 13. Oh, really? Are you? Yeah. About politics then. So it's Richard Tice is the leader of the Reform Party. For those that don't kind of know, you're obviously with Brexit now being done. You've got a number of um, people standing across the country, haven't you? So what, what's the sort of key policies for the for the Reform Party? Well, I'm standing for city mayor. And I'm also standing as a councillor. So under my auspices as a mayor, uh, the first thing that's extremely important is the freedom of the city. So we don't take diktat from London. So the first thing is a moratorium on the experimental vaccination. There'll also be no mask mandate and there'll be a fine for forcing children to wear masks if I am in power. Have you been attending the the uh, lockdown protest yourself? Yeah, personally? I've been to every one. Okay, in the city, outside Bristol as well. London, London. Okay, and what do you say to somebody that? I mean, in terms of the statistics, we've had over three million people have died across the globe. We've had a hundred twenty-seven thousand deaths in the UK. If you know somebody's listening who's lost a relative, what would you say to them when you say that it's just like a common cold? Well, I haven't said it's just a common cold, so don't put words in my mouth. I said the common flu. That's all right. Flu. And I'll carry on the coronavirus. The common cold is a coronavirus. And of course, my condolences would go out immediately to anybody who suffered 
from this. And it is a very big puzzle uh, as to where uh, this coronavirus COVID-19 came from and why it is here. I wouldn't deny its existence but it has not. Okay, so if we take the premise that it's a disproportionate response to it and these lockdowns are sort of taking away people's civil liberties, if, if we take that argument, what's the, what's the agenda, what's the thinking behind this? Globalist, globalist control. So you've got Brexit, which is about sovereignty. Sovereign nation states, people also have sovereign rights, unalienable rights, which they back. In our culture, it's been over a thousand years to the Magna Carta and the Nordic cultures that existed here before then. So, and with the Reform Party, so there's a number of things you want to change about the constitution, how we do politics. Obviously, the, the lockdown is kind of centre for you, but there's other things as well. Just give us a quick indication of what they are. Well, proportional representation is the main one. So, we'll, we'll do away with the first past the post system. There's also the possibility of uh, creating a second chamber. Uh, so you don't have a House of Lords anymore. Uh, but the proportional representation is uh, quite European. Uh, I lived in Scandinavia for over a decade. Uh, I studied the Riksdag over there and the way they do politics. Proportional representation means everybody gets a fair shout, a fair shake, because the past-to-post system, the two-party system, is just fitting this up completely. Look, you've got well, That's to- interesting, isn't it? Because obviously mm. that's been a Liberal Democrat policy for... For quite some time. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, the Liberal Democrats have gotten it right there. Uh, usually, they're all over the place. Look what they did with Brexit. Look what yeah. they did. So that's with- what I'm trying to say. That's an interesting dynamic. Obviously, you would be utterly opposed to their Brexit stance, but you've got a similar policy over over voting systems. Well, we're liber- the Reform Party is a libertarian party. That means standing for liberty. It means for standing for freedom. It means standing for free thinking. It's free thought. Brexit votes 70 million people. Brexit party played a huge hand in um, in, in sort of the, the pact that Farage made with Boris around the last general election. Do you see yourself as the party and the candidate that represents the man in the street, the, the left behind people that traditional politicians have forgotten about in the Absolutely, city? Absolutely, yeah. That's what you had the Red Wall, which came tumbling down up in northern England or the Midlands. Uh, the Brexit Party were huge in working class communities. Uh, and they obviously moved away from Labour and they, they voted Tory just to get Brexit through. What about the administration here in Bristol? The mayoral team, Labour, Marvin Rees, the team around him. What's your, what's your feelings about them? Yeah, Mayor uh, um, Rees will let the corporates in and just usher them in. He won't even ask any questions. Uh, this is my opinion. I've questioned Rees on several different occasions full council I've, I've been down to uh, the empire fighting chance and asking questions about his hypocrisy uh, reese himself he sort of you know got himself up by the bootstraps as a personal character uh, he's of interest but i think he's being played massively by the labor party he's also getting paid extremely well i think it's 79 grand k 79k so listen to that if you're in south mead and he is just knocking a lot of Bristol down. And this is the thing about this mayoral position. It does give a single individual too much power. And I'd also work towards abolishing this position uh, if you would power okay. like the Liberals because you get a psychophant. Reese is he's notoriously thin-skinned. He's a bit psychophantic. He's a bit paranoid. I remember when he went down to a meeting in Hot Wells about this 
go over, they take down the portway uh, there. And he said he was quite worried and it was quite frightening. And you look at the pictures, it's just like a bunch of old people in there. So he gets a little paranoid. I'm not really, I don't think he's of sound judgment. I don't have much clout uh, because I haven't been around the city as much as I'd like to. At this moment, it's like a pretty uh, grassroots, bare bones thing we're running with the Reform Party. But for working people, it, it is their party mind. I'm a worker. I'm a jobbing laborer. I do SIA security. I do other stuff too. But I, I know it is to be a working man and get my hands dirty. I um, I made a documentary in South Bristol, which I think is is possibly an area where it is the area in the city pockets of South Bristol where was the highest vote for to leave the European Union. I, and right, I interviewed yeah. and spoke to some of the Brexit candidates walking around. And um, both of them, were, I think, were from Cornwall. And they'd kind of come up. They weren't really embedded in the city. So is there is there a tr- slight change in strategy then that obviously you're someone that, you know, you're a Rovers fan, you've been in the city most of your life, that you'll have more of a grip on what's going on locally? Because I think that probably went against them a bit in the election, in Bristol anyway. The thing is, I, I'm Bristol-born. I've lived in a lot of different neighbourhoods in the city. I squatted when I was a kid. I was here during the punk era. Okay. Uh, that was big for me. I was in the anti-Nazi league and in the Rock Against Racism uh, organisations. So I know it from the, from the ground up. Bristol's a great city. What makes it great is Bristolians. Okay. Now, this is really important uh, because you've got a lot of students here, a lot of right-on students. Bristol University is a pretty middle-class university. Fair enough. You've got a lot of people that come down to St. Werberg's Eastern from other areas of the country and think they're the dog's bollocks, like the idols, for example. They've all got their trendy leftist socialist policies, but they they don't think out of the box, mate. They do not think out of the box. Where's the idols with their lockdown song? Do you know what I mean? They're just completely disconnected from reality. Do you feel that Bristol's become a bit like that? I'll say one thing. When I went down to... The day of the George Floyd protest, Black Lives Matter, Colson in the in the dock and all, there was very few Bristol accents, I'd say that much. And then the next day, when a lot of people, a lot of football uh, lads showed up and bikers and even angels showed up, the next day to protect the cenotaph, cenotaph that yeah. was proper Bristol folk. I was left. I went to, oh, to a lot of SWP marches, that kind of thing. Uh, I used to run with Class War, as a matter of fact, when I was a young. I don't know okay. if you know who they are. Yeah, yeah, David Bone. Uh, what's his name? Ian Bone. David Bone. Ian Bone, sorry. Behind yeah, a, yeah. Man behind the Bristolian. Yeah, but, yeah. So I, yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, anarchy in the UK and the pistols and all that kind of stuff. But what you, what you see is, I think it's a very fine balance, actually, between the left and the right. In fact, maybe they, they don't really exist. You could spend like the next year talking about whether left or right exists. But what is really important is freedom. So when I was a punk, for example, there'd be loads of skinheads. Some of them might have been NF, but most weren't. They were skinheads. Now, if you a lot of people, they see a skinhead or what, a picture of a skinhead, they're going, oh, racist. And that's absolutely not true. They were going to all the scar dances, mixing with the first generation. That came later, didn't it? The far right sort of hijacked the skinhead movement, really. They did. Yeah, I remember them down the Rovers. They come along. The Rovers were much more punk than the city. The city was much more soul boys, but we had NF coming down and we ran them out. Let's get that straight. Great, Robert. Thank you ever so much and uh, most appreciated and um, good luck on, on May the 6th. Cheers, mate. It's a pleasure to speak to you. 
Cheers. Next up is Oscar Shaw. He is standing as an independent. He is a drama student in Bristol and is standing for the preservation of trees. Hello, Oscar. How are you? Hello. Oh, um, yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Where are you now? Oh, I'm at the top of a massive tree. You're up. You're at literally up a tree. I'm now, literally. Are you? I'm literally standing on the edge, looking down from the top of a massive tree. You've decided to chuck your hat into the ring to be elected for Bristol Mayor. So yeah. About? Well, I'm kind of having a go, really. Um, I am running for mayor because I was part of the M32 Maples campaign, and part of that campaign is that they were going to put the last protected tree in as a mayoral candidate, but. Um, the tree got cut down before they could register the tree as a candidate. So the question was said, well, this is still a really good idea. Um, we've got the means to do this. Oh, did, sorry, be... the tree itself was going to be a candidate. Well, I, I mean, there was, I don't know whether we could have actually done it, but that was the plan. <laughs> that was the plan. <laughs> right. Genuinely, right. that was the plan, it was it? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So the plan was to put the tree in. It had already kind of been put into motion um, when we lost the last tree. And then the question was said, well, this would be a great thing if we could still do this just to get people talking about it and get it out there. Um, does anyone want to do it? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't I don't know what I'm doing, but absolutely, I'll do I'll do what it takes to get um, to get this out there. We're kind of then using this to kind of push a kind of wider sort of manifesto on um, rights for nature in Bristol. So you were you were protesting up the tree, is that right? Yeah. Well, what I was doing is that I used to um, I cycled past the maples on my way to uni every time I went in. And we'll just clarify where these maples are. Uh, they're in St Paul's. They were long, yeah. um, lower Ashley Down Road. As you come off yeah. the M32, there, there is when you first get into St Paul's, and um, yeah, and I just I just got mixed up in it because I used to see these trees, and then they were cut down, and I sort of went in, and I got sort of chucked out and stuff for having a look and I got involved with the movement and for most of the time I was just showing up at six in the morning to go and keep a vigil on this tree just to keep an eye on it and stop it from being cut down. Have you been into this sort of stuff for, for, for some time? Um, been into environmental you know and campaigning and protesting is, is that your kind of thing? Well no not really not no. not since this year and and the maples really because I just um I mean, I've always been sort of like nature conscious. Like I had like background growing up in the woods and my sort of grandfather was a sort of wood carver. And, but ah. this is kind of the first time that I've really done any okay. kind of activism or so movement stuff. it's in stuff. the blood then. It's in the blood though. Where, where are you, so where are you from originally? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Orcadian. What does that mean? Uh, it means that I'm from some islands up the very north of Scotland. Oh, the Orkney Islands. The Orkney Islands, yeah. Wow, that's almost Sweden. Well, not yes. Far. You don't sound Scottish. Um, well, no, because I was born in Orkney, uh, yeah. but I mostly grew up near Brighton. And you came to Bristol as a student. <laughs> are you at UWE? Yeah. I'm at UWE, I'm at UWE, yeah. UWE, okay. What are you studying? I'm doing drama and acting. Are you? Well, that <laughs> could stand in good stead then for this. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's given me the, the sort of basic people skills. Okay, so how long have you been here? I'm in my third year. These okay. four weeks now are my last four weeks of the degree, really. Oh, is it? So when you, yeah, leave, yeah, you yeah. graduate and you become Bristol Mayor, I guess that's a <laughs> well, yeah, they coincide. I live, yeah, 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 yeah. How many votes do you think you're going to get then? How many votes am I going to get? Well, I mean, it's, 
it's kind of secondary, really. I mean, the thing is, the, the mayoral and the political side of things is very much kind of not what this is about. What I really care about is getting people talking about these green issues in Bristol. Um, yeah. We need to be putting nature and trees as a priority now. And that doesn't mean the dichotomy, because when I say something like that, mostly what people respond is, well, what about social housing? which is obviously a massive issue. And, you know, there's people that need homes in Bristol right now, but we need to find a way to work together. It it can't be that it's one or the other. We need to start finding a way to work with our green spaces. It's, you know, we can't keep saying, oh, it's just one tree because they're all one tree and eventually there won't be any. Why are trees so important? <laughs> Why are trees so important? Well, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, if anyone came up to me and said, hello, Oscar, you're an idiot. Trees aren't important. I'd just be like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I I, could give you a lot of reasons to answer that question. But if you genuinely don't think that they're important already, I, I don't know what I can really say to you. Mm. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking if someone's listening and they're, they, they're maybe oh, aren't, aren't oh, as kind of uh, clued up on environmental issues, you know, they might be thinking, well, hang on a minute, well, it's just a tree. Trees aid us moving towards carbon neutrality that a tree's mass is not from the soil it's not from sunlight it comes from carbon particles so when a tree grows it is constantly breathing in carbon dioxide and it's releasing pure oxygen Um, we rely on oxygen rich air in order for our organs to work properly for us to be able to move to be able to think i mean other than that trees are they're living growing real things you know people talking about rights for trees in the same way that animals have rights and children have rights. As, like, as that notion of being a living thing yeah yes. kind of yeah and because i guess trees advice for some people are seen as like an object but well yes it's, it's maybe a mirrors to yeah. nature it's, it's a living breathing thing that's been here you know a lot longer than any of us and we'll live for, for you know in many cases decades longer than, than most people my partner's from brazil and obviously that's a big issue over there logging yeah the rubber rubber industry knocking down trees in the amazon and, and in the atlantic rainforest which is close to where dad's from people do, generally don't realize the impact this is having so well, a lot of people don't realize the impact this is having on the planet no. and you're right it's a global issue we're, we're facing it a global disaster. Why are you not voting? Why, if that's the case, then we've obviously got a Green Party candidate. Ah, yes. Uh, why? Why are you not the Green Party? But why would you not be voting for the Green Party or encouraging people to do so? Are they not on top of this? Uh, your option within the typical party structure, in that he's paid a set wage and he's backed up by the right people that know how to say the right things in the right place, blah blah blah, and everything will stay mostly the same way that it was before because he's been trained for it and he's just one of the people of the party and he comes in that particular colour which yeah. has trees slightly higher than all the other ones which is yeah. great and if you want things to say exactly the way that they are then go and vote for sandy not radical um, enough then yeah not radical well enough I, this, I don't yeah. know if you want to wait and for him to slowly you know convince the right people and you know have a little chat and just try and sort it out fine fine i don't represent any of that i'm not with a party i'm just me and to be honest if for example i was to win i don't know what would i do probably just resign and use the publicity <laughs> to to move on and talk yeah. about the real issue and yeah. you know and get some kind of real unity on tackling this issue. I don't care about the mayor thing. I couldn't care less. This is just an opportunity to be able to talk to people about this. And how has it been for you? Obviously, the spotlight, I saw you being yeah. interviewed on the TV, on College Green, hmm. sort of suddenly That's emerging. Uh, it's yeah, been interesting. It been? I've tried to not let it... Um, I'm in the last four weeks of my course as well. So I'm incredibly yeah. busy. And I'm just trying to fit... Everything in, really. 
and I'm trying not to let it disrupt the rest mm. of my life anyway. May the sixth, isn't it? That's the day. Presumably, so you're going to be, you're going to have to put the books down for that day then, just in case, you know, if you yes. do win, or to, or for that day, or you, you can't not turn up for your own marrow inauguration. I mean, that would, I mean you? that. <laughs> well, that'd be yeah, good. Exactly. Actually, that would be, be a first. And, actually, um, that'd be quite interesting if you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't make it. I've got, a, I've got a lesson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you're a drama. You're. I did GCSE drama actually. So you're a drama student. My kids, I've got three kids under nine. Mm. One of them's called Oscar, actually. He's tattooed, he? on, my, tattooed on my biceps. Oh, um, but nice their um, their favourite film, well, certainly the older two, is Lord of the Rings. Ah, and their favourite really? thing in Lord of the Rings they get angry about is when they start killing the trees. And the trees start coming back, don't they? Remember yeah. that bit in Lord of the Rings when the hobbits are sat on the tree? Yes. And they come and they clear out Mordor. I feel in many ways you are the... You know, not, I wouldn't say you're a hobbit, but you're kind of almost like the Bilbo Baggins, the, the soldier of truth, protecting <laughs> protecting our trees. So hats off to you, sir. Thank you. And that's very interesting because there's a fantastic quote from Tolkien. It's something along the lines of, in all things, I strive to be on the side of the trees. <laughs> that's, <laughs> great. that's a great way to end. Thank you, Oscar. Great way. Lovely. All the best. Thank you very much. So that's it. Sadly, that is the end of our election specials for Bristol Unpacked. I'd like to say a huge thank you to all of the candidates that we've spoken to for giving up their time, being open and being honest. I think we've probably done the most in-depth interviews across the media in the city, dare I say, myself. So roll on May the 6th when we will find out who will be the next mayor of Bristol. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs, and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes, and if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable, along with 2,000 others, to create a new kind of media for the city.